Um, this morning, I want to take us on a, a bit of a journey, and we're going we're gonna to bookend this journey with the first psalm. Um, but on this journey, we're going to make three stops, and we're actually going to stop in three different, uh, kind of three different places, and the places, I think they matter. First time, we're, we're going to actually go to Chicago. Maybe a little weird, but that's where we're going to go. Uh, then we're going we're gonna to go uh, travel quite a bit back in time, and we're going to go to the, the ancient and mysterious land of Uz, right? Not a place that we spent, we talk about a lot, but we're going to stop there. And then lastly, we'll, we'll land in the, t- uh, in the time of Jesus in, in first century Israel-Palestine before we end up returning back to uh, this, the first psalm. But let's, let's dive in, and we'll start at the beginning. And let's, let's read this first psalm together, often referred to as the gateway to the psalms, because it sets us up, I think. So reading from the NIV this morning. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But those who delight in the law of the Lord, and those who meditate on his law day and night... That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I think that that last verse is a key for us in kind of understanding it, understanding the entire psalm. And I actually say a lot of the psalms. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I say it's key, but it's also tricky, right? Because that's a nice idea, right? But I don't know about you, but I think it sometimes feels incredibly inaccurate. Right? It doesn't feel like God watches over the righteous. Right? It doesn't feel like the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Actually, sometimes it feels like, actually, often, not just sometimes, it feels like exactly the opposite. And as I was reflecting on this, I was reflecting on uh, something that happened to me a number of years ago. I was, uh, I was in Chicago, and I was at a, a, youth, a youth leader conference. It was part of my, my job. I got to go to a number of these conferences. But this one was particularly good, right? Um, it, it was a good time of connection and the, the learning. I remember leaving feeling inspired and challenged, right? And as, like, you don't want to go, one of the perks of traveling is you get to kind of see some places. And so my flight didn't, the conference ended, and my flight didn't leave right away. So I took my little time that I had, and I decided I'd wander around downtown Chicago and go see the Bean and some of the architecture that's there, right? Um, and as I was wandering downtown, I was reflecting on the things at this conference that I had learned and reflecting on the, 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 the God-given image to every 
human being, that they bear the image of God within them, and that is what gives them value and, and meaning and purpose, right? It's not what they do or our perceptions of them. And I, was, I, I wandered and I reflected on this, and as I, my time kind of came to a close, I was wandering back to the train, because I, I wanted to head up to the airport, didn't want to miss my flight, and up ahead of me I could see uh, a gentleman, a man, young man, probably young man, this is a few years ago, so he's about the same age I was then. Um, and he was, he was stopping everybody and asking for something. Now, full disclosure, I typically avoid situations like this. If I see someone up above, uh, up ahead, and I've gotten better, but this is still my go-to, um, full confession. Um, if I see someone up ahead looking for money, I will move to, not to the other side of the road, like I'm not that bad, but I'll, uh, I'll move to the other side of the sidewalk and I'll do the whole like deadpan stare, stare ahead, put in headphones that aren't on, you know, all the things where you have to avoid actually interacting with somebody you don't know. And as I was seeing this man ask, asking people for things, I thought, you know what, like that is not, that is not a good way to treat people who bear the image of God, right? It's not how I want to behave. And so instead of living in my normal patterns, I it was determined to act differently. I was term, determined to value this man, to listen to him, and to see the image of God in him. And so as he approached me, I smiled and made eye contact, something that's very uncomfortable for me to do with a stranger. And I don't think I would have put it this way at the time, but I was determined to act righteously, to act right towards him, right? And so I ste stepped outside my, no my norm, and when he, he approached, he said, if, could I spare a few bucks? And I thought... I'm going to go further. I'm not just going to give him money. I'm going to ask him, why do you want it? And he said to me that he wanted to get a train ticket to go back to his, his, his family. So he, and I was intrigued at this. And I said, but I also had a flight to catch. So I said, you know what? I have a flight to catch, but I'm walking to the station. Can, why don't you walk with me and, and tell me a little bit? And so as we walked, he told me that he, about his, his girlfriend and child that lived down in Georgia or Florida, somewhere in that direction, right? And he was trying to get to, he just needed to scrounge up enough money for a ticket. And he didn't, and I asked him, like, what's your situation? Like, he, he looked like he was clean, and he didn't look like your typical uh, person experiencing homelessness. So I asked him what kind of a bit of a, what led him to this moment. And he says to me, well, I actually just got out of prison. I'm actually on parole, and I don't have access to my funds yet. And I thought, is someone on a parole supposed to leave the state? <laughs> and so I asked him, because I don't know. I asked him, it's like, are, are you supposed to leave Chicago if you're on parole? Like, are you supposed to leave Illinois? And he says to me, full honesty, which I always love, no, and I don't care, I just want to get back to my family. Beautiful sentiment, right? Beautiful kind of like, 
drive for him to go see his girlfriend and child that he wanted to be with. But as he's saying this, my heart sinks because I'm just like, I can't help you break parole. You know, and I know that, and he's walking with me, and I've heard his story. I've felt like connection. I've seen the value in him. So as we're walking along, I said to him, it's like, look, like, I can't give you money if you're going to use it to break parole. Like, I just, I don't, I just can't. And as I'm saying that, he stops. And I didn't realize at first, and I turned, and I looked at him, and I realize he's very angry. Very angry. He's kind of going all red, breathing a bit heavy, you know, and he's like, shoot. And then I kind of took in my surroundings, and I realized I had left the downtown core of where it was nice and busy, and there were lots of people. And I wasn't on a side street, but I was on a street that there were no people on. There with an angry man who had just gotten out of prison. And it was still, like, it's not like it's dark, but I was there. And I was just, I kind of just took a step back. And it, when he calmed enough, he said, kind of through his teeth, why would you waste my time? And he kind of drew his fist back. And I held up my hands and I backed up, you know. I've seen that before. I know the stance. So I gave myself a little bit of distance and I apologized profusely. Like, like, I'm really sorry for wasting your time. It was not my intention. I just wanted to understand what you were going through and what you, why you needed money. Unfortunately, I don't feel like I can give you any at this point. So you, kind of, you, you could see him. He took a deep breath. He calmed. And so I just, I apologized again. And as a mid-apology, his fist comes up, smacks me right in the side of the head. Beautiful moment, right? You know? And I stumbled back, and I looked at him, and it's just like, oh, he's going to come again, right? So I take a couple steps back, and in this moment, I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful, but he decided to turn and leave. Could have been much worse, right? And I'm ultimately fine. My ear is ringing a little bit because he's like, it's weird. You've ever been hit? Like, it just kind of, it's shocking no matter what. It doesn't really hurt. To my wife's chagrin, I called her and told her, I've just, like, I'm on my way to the airport. I've just got punched. And then my phone ran out of minutes, <laughs> which she has never forgiven me for. Because <laughs> I was just like, to get more is just so expensive in the States. So I was just like, oh, she'll figure it out when I get home. I said I was fine. Like, that's how I opened it. Anyway, so I was able to get home and catch my flight. But in that moment, I remember thinking like, just so vividly that I had tried. You know what I mean? I was like, I had said, I'm going to act righteously. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to see the value of a person. I'm going to live righteously. I made time to listen and to value the man's story. And it got me punched in the side of the head. And I know this is kind of a small story. It's a trite kind of story, in a way, when you compare it to, like, the suffering of the righteous across the globe. 
But it's something that has stuck with me in that moment. And when I return to this first psalm and I look at that last verse, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. As someone who was trying to live righteously in the moment, I was not feeling very watched over. Do you know what I mean? Now, I know you could say, like, it could have been a lot worse. You were in Chicago, right? A place known for its gun violence, right? But in this moment, it didn't feel that way. And I think when you scale this out and you look at the reality of our world, terrible things happen all the time to people who are trying their best to live righteously and justly in a world. Good thing, bad things happen to good people all the time. In our world, the innocent suffer, right? And righteous and upstanding people don't end up with a good life. They don't seem to be watched over. So this promise of Psalm 1, it has a hard time standing up in the midst of our reality, right? And I, I don't know if they thought about this when they were putting the scriptures together, when they were thinking about the order of it, things, but I think it's really interesting that the book of Psalms and this first Psalm comes right after the book of Job. In the book of Job, who's a man from the land of Uz. We read about a wealthy man who was righteous and upstanding in his community, completely blameless. And then all of a sudden, he loses everything. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. He ends up losing his family. Everything. He suffers through sickness, through pain, through death, through poverty. And while he goes through this, his friends tell him, Job, you know this is your fault. The Lord looks after the righteous. He watches over the righteous. So obviously you have done something wrong. Right? And this is typical at the time. This is how people world view the world. It's actually not uncommon today. A lot of us, we find ourselves thinking in that headway, in that headspace. We see someone who is successful and we think blessed, right? But even though there's all of the, his friends are not giving him a lot of great advice or help, throughout this, Job maintains that he is innocent. And you watch as Job's own view kind of changes because at the beginning he's like, I'm innocent. I have not done anything wrong. Why am I suffering? And then by the time you get to chapter 21, he's realizing that innocents all over suffer all the time. And wicked prosper and are ble seemingly blessed in a world. Job 21, Job says, Why do the wicked live on growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. They spend their lives in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. 
And isn't this the case in our own time? The wicked prosper and the innocent suffer. And I find it hard to reconcile the first psalm with the book of Job and ultimately with our own reality that we live in. But as you read through the rest of Job, well, it doesn't offer a clear answer. I don't think you, if you've ever read the book of Job, you don't sit there and like, oh, that was, it was very enlightening and everything is crystal clear now, yeah. right? It doesn't give you that. Instead, it leans heavily into the mystery, right? But I think it brings two, for me, really two helpful insights. The first one is that bad things are a reality of our world. For the good, for the wicked, for everything, everybody, bad things happen. Life involves suffering, difficulty, and following God is not a guarantee of happiness or blessedness on this side of death. You might have a different mindset in the midst of it, but it won't change your reality. The second thing I think that Job teaches us is even in the midst of difficulty and pain and struggle, we can experience God present with us. Even though there's difficulty, even though there's struggles, we aren't left alone. We are accompanied in and through the pain and difficulty. The promise of Job is presence, not prosperity. Presence in the midst of pain and suffering and injustice. And I think as we shift from the land of others to first century Palestine, we see that Jesus came and offered the same to us. And this, I think, is why for so many of us, Jesus might feel disappointing. I think it's why he was so disappointing to many of the first century people. Because Jesus didn't come and offer prosperity, success, and happiness. He didn't come and offer victory over the Roman oppressors. He came and offered presence. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came and experienced life to its fullest, right? He lived a life just as we do. He ate amazing meals, and he went hungry sometimes. He had the good and the bad. He made friends, made connections, and he watched his friends and family die. He experienced heartache. He experienced pain, and ultimately he experienced death. The most innocent suffered. Jesus' life is Job's story relived. Job was an innocent who experienced an overwhelming amount of suffering. And Jesus, too, was the most innocent and completely innocent, and still suffered. Bad things still happened to Jesus. Life happened to Jesus. I think there would be a really easy thing if, 
if we could directly link someone's suffering to the wrongdoings they did, right? And I think that's why we fall into that pattern so often, right? Because there's an ease about it. And there's an ease about saying, we're doing the right thing because we're successful. Churches do it all the time, right? They behave poorly, but they say, we've got butts in the seats, so everything's good. Unfortunately, life doesn't work this way. We can behave absolutely terrible and still be incredibly successful. We can behave absolutely righteous and everything can go wrong. It's interesting, in John 9, Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man. And his disciples, who at the time thought much like Job's friends, asked Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Right? And they're thinking, if someone's born blind, someone had to be at fault, directly at fault, right? And the disciples were convinced that this, this suffering that this man was living through came directly from sin. But you'll note Jesus' reply, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. According to Jesus, the, the, this man's perceived affliction didn't come because of unrighteousness or from sin. For as much as we can understand things, it just was. And Jesus in that moment saw an opportunity to display the greatness of God, the goodness of God. And so he offered healing, unconventionally, spit in the mud, smeared it on the guy's eyes, I think if you were choosing how you wanted to be healed, I don't think most of us would think that would be our... Can't you just say the words? Right? But the man was healed. He washed off the mud in the pool of Siloam, and then he was healed. And it's a beautiful story, but for this morning, the, the fact that this man's affliction, and Jesus notes very clearly that his affliction didn't directly connect to any kind of sin, to any kind of wicked living... I think it offers some illumination. The man, for all intents and purposes, was innocent. But he still suffered. And good people are suffering today. All around us. People who have done, who are essentially innocent. Just as they did in the ancient land of Uz. Just as I did in that very minor way on the streets of Chicago. So then how do we make sense of this first psalm? How do we make sense of this, this closing line, for the Lord watches over the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction? Doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? But I think after kind of making this journey through Scripture and kind of like building some of this understanding, there's two things that kind of helped me, and maybe they'll help you. I think first you look at the, the author. 
Okay, this is, this is poetry that, that King David wrote. It's a song. And King David, he was a character. Okay? And he did end up king of Israel. He was by all means successful. Like he is the king of Israel until like the greatest king until Jesus came. Right? By many accounts. But David's life wasn't all success. You read his story, he had a lot of trial, a lot of suffering, and a lot of difficulty. And it's interesting that most of his trial and difficulty came at times when he was probably living more righteously. Was his life got easier as he became successful? He turned into a bit of a twit, right? David penned the Psalms. He, he was writing a hopeful song, Hope, a hopeful one. It wasn't detached from the reality of suffering. J David was very familiar with suffering. But it's one that held on to the fact that the presence of God, there was the presence of God even in the midst of difficulty. And I think you get at the presence because, honestly, I think we've done, a, I hate to say this, but I think we've done a poor job of translating this. Um, I'm not a scholar, so I, that's why I say it so hesitantly. But it, whenever we transition languages, we lose nuance and some of the kind of hidden things, or not hidden, some of the alternative options for meaning and thinking about certain things, right? And so when you look at this, this word, this word that we translate into uh, the watches over the way of the righteous, the word watches translates also to knows or is acquainted with. Which I think reads a little bit differently. And it's not like it also is like you can like, you're, you're ten, you know when you got a definition for a word and you're like, oh, number 10, I like that one. It's like, it's actually the primary definition. The word is yada, 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 yada. I know, I know, I know. That's what it means. The, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. I think this has a different voice to it. It sounds more like a promise of, less like a promise of protection and more like a promise of presence. It's like Jesus is familiar with the journey that the righteous will take. God is on that path with them. Present with them. And I think it gets even more because, and it points to that, that way of thinking, because when you look at the, the, uh, the word that's translated to destruction, or lots of translations are perish, it equally means lost. For the Lord is present on the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to being lost, leads to being away from God. When we read this first psalm, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but those who delight in the law, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who 
meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not weather whatever, whether whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Blessed is the one who walks with God. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. I think our blessing, our happiness comes, true happiness comes from recognizing the presence of God even in the midst of our difficulty. We are going to suffer. There are going to be bad things that happen to us regardless of how you pray and who you pray to. But we take peace, we take solace in knowing that Jesus is here with us. Jesus is amongst us and has gone through this with us, even though it isn't easy. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you that you are here with us. Thank you for your presence and the promise of your continuing presence with us. Just ask that we would be made aware of, aware of you, even in the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.